Hey, good morning. Good warm morning. It's warm in here, cold outside. How many are glad for heat? That's right. It could be. I was reading up. Paul Bills is an old missionary from Alaska. Uh, he's, he's passed on now, but um, he has a book that he wrote about his adventures in Alaska. And this was probably in the 40s and 50s when he's at the height of his ministry. And he talks about um, in some of the churches there, they would take a tarp and tie up the four corners of the tarp and they would put ice uh, and they would put the wood stove on overnight to try to get that ice melted down enough to baptize people. Uh, and and uh, and so they also talked about you know how we chop firewood here. Uh, my 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 family doesn't know anything about firewood. Um, and if you need some, you can see them in the back. That's a free pr- promo there. Um, but um, they chop ice because they have to have water. Speaking of water, you know everything's frozen. So we they don't turn on a faucet. They they go and grab a block of ice and they melt it down and they use it. And so they they cut up and chop ice and uh, get it all stacked up and ready to go for the winter time. So we can be grateful and thankful that uh, it's not that cold. Uh, it's cold, but it's not that cold. Aren't you glad for that? It's so good to be here um, this morning. Thank you for um, for allowing me to be here. It is always a privilege to come home. I have uh, some a few family members uh, here. I know some of you going way back, um, and uh, some of you um, new faces for the first time. And so, um, but it's good to have. Uh, obviously, uh, my cousin Jamie with me this morning. He uh, was going to sing this morning, but uh, uh, he has a little frog, a cold frog in his throat, and uh, it's not cooperating, so he's not going to sing. But Jamie went to Haiti this past summer, and I don't know if he wants to say anything about Haiti or not, but um, he didn't know this. But um, maybe just wave at us or say something about Haiti. You can come up here, though, if you want. Yeah, there you go. That's better. He's going to, he's another son of the church. So, uh, yeah, this is, y'all, most of y'all know Jamie. Jamie is uh, Bill and Dorley Gillian's uh, uh, son, and so uh, he's my cousin. And so, but uh, here you go. Ironically, as I was coming into Anderson, um, the song, How Great Is Our God, came on, and it was the version where they sing in all different languages and the first time I heard it um, and I can say this here I got Holy Ghost bumps and this morning on the way here when the song started playing and I got those bumps I knew that I was going to be asked to give a word (laughs) and so that that's how the Holy Spirit works Um, I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about Haiti because if I get started those that I've shared with know I won't shut up but I will tell you that I keep in close contact with a, a, a Haitian man that I met there um, who is really on fire um, for God. He sent me a text last night. He'd been doing a revival and baptized a young lady. And we here don't appreciate baptism as it is in Haiti because it takes months, if not years, to be baptized there. Um, you don't receive salvation and ask to be baptized because of the voodoo religion that's there it takes a while for people to prove that they have actually um, converted okay but uh, just last week he said hey brother didn't you tell me that you have a friend 
who is involved in a clean water mission. And um, I'm like, yeah, well, actually, it's a relative of mine, and, you know, we are in close contact about that. And recently, he had, his father was a witch doctor and was very wealthy, had multiple wives, and um, had recently passed away, and Kitlin received a fairly large inheritance, large for Haiti, by the way. Um, It was a couple of thousand dollars, I think. There was a building for sale, and he has a children's ministry there, as well as being an evangelist, and he's also connected with uh, Project Hope, who I went to Haiti with. But he um, has 100 children, and he purchased a building with the money in his inheritance. Now, that building needs restrooms, um, he needs to dig a well, and he shares all these things with me. And when I mentioned water filters, he thought, oh, well, maybe if we had water filters, we could get by with what we have. I've watched uh, many, many women when we went out into the bush doing their laundry in, I can't think of the name of the river, but a a river that flows there nearby. And then they have little stools that sit really low in the water, and they're actually made out of the, the foreleg of a goat and they wash there, they beat everything on a rock, and then they lay it over any kind of object they can find to dry. And actually, while I was there, we had Haitian women that did our laundry, and my whites were the whitest they've ever been, my colors were the colorest they've ever been. Um, it, it, it was incredible. But I guess once you see those things, um, it changes you. When I attended here, um, Larry and Anna Snedler were missionaries that we supported uh, in Nicaragua, and they would come back, and I can remember as a child and even as a young person when they were here, and I knew they were going to speak that Sunday night. It's like, oh, do we have to go? And so I was the last person. I was never interested until last year, and I felt called. And now that call kind of... um, you know, I'll be, I'm going back this June and also kind of getting more involved with what Mike does. So um, it's a great ministry. Uh, it is the single biggest need in developing countries, and it will save many lives. But the best thing is when you get there, you can teach them about the living water and, and those things the things that really matter that will sustain their life in the here and now, but then um, in heaven. Yeah, thank you, Jamie. Yeah, it's been really cool, you know, to connect with Jamie and just his uh, passion just from his experience. And that's really cool to see people when that light goes off and they get to really do something that that makes a difference. And so that's... um, I'm excited for what's going on in Haiti and what's going on other places. Um, as you know, I'm with Hope 21. My wife and I started that. Uh, this is uh, about to wrap up our third year full time after pastoring for uh, a number of years, 23 years at a church I planted. We've done this. God has been so faithful and uh, the ministry has continued to grow and expand. Um, in the back on the table, there is uh, I brought you some swamp water from Southern Virginia. 
And um, so it's, uh, it's, that's the water that we use to test every batch of filters we get because it has uh, been tested and proven to be unfit to drink. That's exciting, isn't it? Uh, so it's got, it's loaded with E. coli. I just want you to know that. So I'm building this up. So this morning, I brought you some as a gift. It's free. I won't charge you anything. Um, but I brought it. We filtered some out. And you'll see another container right beside it. That's the filtered water. I tried some this morning. If here in about 30 minutes, when I'm done speaking, if I'm still upright and feeling good, I invite you to try and test some out. Um, now, uh, just a disclaimer here, because a lot of people say, well, you know, um, you know they, they feel guilted into it. Don't feel guilted into it. My wife in all these years has never tried any because she tells me it takes more faith to take my word for it than it does for her to try that water. So don't feel guilty. You can just take my word for it. But I did try some this morning. It's good. I don't mind telling you that. It's good. It's uh, better than the water that I'm getting out of my aunt and uncle's faucet right now because that smells like rotten eggs. So um, but, tasting, I guess I better say it may not be better, but it's better tasting. Hey, how many of y'all can say amen? You know that one, there's a couple stats, two things jump out at me. One, that, um, that every four seconds a child dies. And I have um, over behind my desk uh, in my office, I have a picture of a world map, and I have this, this saying that I've put up there because, as you know, anytime you do ministry, I don't care whether it's uh, in a local church or a local community um, or across the world, there, there's a cost and there's a, a, a challenge to every ministry. It's just how it is. And sometimes uh, we come up against walls and we come against obstacles and we come up against resistance and we, we question. We question, hey, is it worth it? We ask ourselves that in our in our moments of struggle. And, um, you know, the thing about being a, a missionary and doing missions work, you, you're, you have to go and you have to talk to people and share your vision and ask people, um, you know, for support and all, all these different things. And so sometimes it just, you know, when you get rejected a certain amount of times, you just like, ah, oh, this is crazy. Lord, I don't, I don't even know if I'm cut out for this. And so there's this saying on there and it says, when you get tired of the cost of the mission, Remind yourself, and for me, I have on there, one child dies every four seconds. And then I say, repeat that. One child dies every four seconds. Of, and, and they're dying of preventable causes. Diarrhea kills one out of every five children in the world today. You know, for us, we dread diarrhea. And you can tell people, hey, what would you hear in church? Well, we heard about diarrhea. We dread it, but we don't fear it. I will tell you in other countries, developing countries, it is not only dreaded, but it's feared because it takes the lives. It also may not kill them, but it keeps them so undernourished and so uh, below uh, a, a productive functioning level that they can't go to school. Half of the world's hospital beds are filled with people with water-related diseases. So, you know, we know the most important thing on this earth today, physical thing that we have is air. Now, we can only go a few minutes or seconds, minutes without air. But we can only go a few days without water. And uh, you can go a few days without food. We started off as a ministry that did food, and we quickly discovered people. Uh, we were providing this food, these food packs that you can see out there, and they were using unclean water to prepare food. And so, therefore, they were eating food that was unclean. 
And so God just really showed us and opened the doors that water filters were the key. They could filter waters that they would cook and clean with and uh, could drink. And one of the really, really cool things, and we're going to show you a couple of pictures here. One of the really cool things is I don't know what any other ministry, I've never been involved in any other ministry, church, missions, anything, that we had a, uh, we were batting a thousand, 100% of the people that we've ministered to that, have, that we have handed a filter, every single one of them will do two things. One, they will listen to the message. They, 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 they will listen intently. We've never had one refuse to listen to the message. And two, they will allow you to lay hands on them and to pray for them. And we go into these homes and we physically lay hands on them and we pray for them. And we have seen many people respond to the gospel. Not all of them. Some of them know Christ already. Some of them, uh, you know, may not come. It's not our job to decide who's genuine and who's not our job. It's to simply fulfill the call of Christ to serve them and to minister to them. For God, you know, for uh, James tells us, he goes, look, a faith without works is dead. And he says, if we see somebody in need and we just tell them to be warmed and, and uh, give them a good story, then our faith is dead. But if we put works with it, then it's powerful. And so uh, it, really is, it really is a cool ministry. And I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I'm trying to report to you and say, um, thank, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and the support that, that uh, many of you have given us. You know, over these last several years, some of you give to us, and I'm so grateful and so thankful for that and uh, all the support and the opportunity to share a word like today. Now, I want to put up a picture here uh, because it's another reason why it's important that we go around the world. Uh, I had the privilege of going to Vietnam this past October. And uh, in Vietnam, um, as you know, it's a communist country, and um, it's illegal. There's churches there, state-sponsored churches, and those things are so full of propaganda, and you have to put in the um, communist manifesto, and it's really not church. It's just an organization. But the real church there where the Spirit of God moves and people are being saved, those churches have been forced underground. Here I am in October at an underground church, and I've whited out this young lady's face because um, it's illegal. And it is, uh, if she was discovered um, um, being a part of this church, then she would be arrested. And so we were at this church, and, and I was preaching, and not, not more than about uh, two or three minutes after this picture was taken, uh, we get a text and, uh, <laughs> uh, from a, a black market phone where these pastors were connected saying, hey, the police are looking for you guys. And so we got shuttled out. We had to jump into a, an Uber van. Uh, and we got shuffled out and we ended up going to a noodle shop and rendezvousing with our other team. And, and we ended up with our communist uh, um, overseer who was um, watching us. Um, all of their internet and phone services, that's why it was a black market phone, all of those are monitored. So when we were on Facebook from Vietnam, all of that was being monitored. When we were on talking on our phones, it was being monitored. But the black market phones allowed the churches to communicate with one another. And they change those about every month. They change, get a new one because the technology gets caught up. Now, I said all of that because we were in Vietnam. Many of you are familiar. Some of you I know serve there. Um, um, some of you lost uh, people there, friends there. And so I just wanted to report that God is on the move in Vietnam and people are getting saved um, in miraculous ways. And the more that the enemy tries to put it down, the greater the grace and mercy of God is. And I want to tell you that that nation has experienced an incredible revival among the underground churches. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool stuff? 
And uh, we were there. Yeah, if you want to give the Lord a hand, it's all right. Um, we were there to um, do rec some reconciliation things, and so we didn't. We worked with uh, different kinds of churches. This next picture I want to show you, and really talk about how the grace of God works. Um, we were at a reconciliation service where we were with Vietnam veterans and the Viet Cong and North Vietnamese um, Army veterans. So opposite sides of, of war, you know, sworn enemies, uh, you know, 40, uh, 50, 40 and 50 years ago. Um, and so we were seeing reconciliation take place. Now, this guy you see right here, he's one of the veterans. He was a Marine while well, he was there, and he was there as a part of this reconciliation service. Now, we were there to minister uh, to them. These uh, four, you can't see the fourth one, but you see the young lady there with the tag, and you see the next young man next to her, the young lady, and then there's another young man just behind um, um, Dennis's big head. And so um, they... This is an interesting story. I just want to show you how, how God works, how um, powerful God is. We were there ministering to these um, North Vietnamese and Viet Cong ministers, and they were ministering to us. We shared communion together, and we did all of that. Um, our government guy, we called him Gigi, he was our communist overseer, our, our rep who was with us. He happened to be in this, um, this service as well. That's why their faces aren't covered, because he was already there. So we were mentioning these are the servers. This lady here, she was the, with the tag, she was the main server, and the, she had her three helpers there. They were our servers. They were the ones bringing us our food. They weren't involved in this whatsoever. But this young lady here, she came up and she said, I, I just feel something. I sense something. I sense and feel um, th this love that I've never experienced before. And she, she kind of heard what was going on, how, you know, you took some, some U.S. soldiers and some old North Vietnamese and Viet Cong soldiers, and they were actually praying for one another, and they were um, hugging on one another, and they were taking communion together, and they were so moved by the love of God that they saw between old enemies that this young lady says, I want that. I don't know what it is. I don't want to say, I want that. And so she goes, and I, I want my staff to have this too. And she went and she got her staff and they all felt the same way. And right here, this is a picture at a moment of four Vietnamese. This is in Hanoi, by the way, Hanoi, Vietnam. Um, four uh, former communist um, young people getting saved at this point. Isn't that awesome? Now this, that's, that's incredible. And I tell, I tell all the, especially the Vietnam vets that serve there, I know there's been a lot of stuff that comes out and there's been a lot of things, but I will tell you that the 10 years or more that our guys were there, that the U.S. was there, in the South, um, it opened up the opportunity for missionaries to come in the South and to hold missionary rallies. The guy who led our missions trip there was one guy who was a former witch doctor. He was a former monk and then a high priest as a monk, and then he became a high priest as a witch doctor, got saved at one of the rallies in 1975, and he has planted over 200 churches, underground churches in Vietnam. And so, it, you know, when you look back and if you, you, you know, whatever you do, I will say that God was at work even during the midst of war, to plant seeds that are coming to fruition. And we're seeing the sons and daughters of former enemies come to know the Lord. Isn't that cool? Now, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I get to experience and I get to report back on. 
And I want to know that I want you to know that that serving God and serving mankind is in the heart of is in the heart of God. I want to share just a quick message with you, if uh, if you can, turn with me to Matthew chapter five, and I want to be sensitive to time here. Matthew chapter five. So I'm going to go quickly. Um, we're going to be looking here at verses uh, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Matthew five fourteen. 15 and 16. The title of the message this morning is Power to Serve Mankind. Power to Serve Mankind. You know, we're all looking for our purpose. In fact, there was a, a guy who wrote a whole series of books and it became bumper stickers and banners and, and, uh, and, and conferences and uh, it was called uh, The Purpose Driven Life. Purpose-driven youth group, purpose-driven church. We're all looking for our purpose. I think all of us know that we all have been born with a purpose, and it's really not that complicated. It's hard, but it's not that complicated. God has called us all, all that have received Christ. He's called us to serve one another and to serve mankind, saved and unsaved. Can I say that again? Saved and unsaved. And so I want to just challenge you and encourage you here through God's word, power to serve mankind. And in Matthew chapter 5, um, it's, it's really kind of a, um, you know, it's kind of a, an incredible communication or, or event that God is putting on, that Christ is putting on. He's, people are coming, they want to hear what he has to say, and this is how we see the Sermon on the Mount where he shares so much. It's such a full chapter, chapter 5 and chapter 6 are so incredible. And uh, here we're going to see... Something that I just want to point out, I can't, I don't have time to preach uh, both chapters. Are you with me? Okay, say amen. So we're just going to uh, preach off of a couple of verses here. Verse 14, Jesus says something, and I think it's important that we understand what he's saying. I think most of you know this, but we'll, um, we'll refresh it this morning. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand... And it gives light to all who are in the house. And verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Pray with me. Jesus, I pray for the next few moments that, Father, that you would bypass even our limited thinking. That, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our heart and stir our heart. That we may be like you, act like you, talk like you, walk like you, touch like you. Father, we need to be more like you. And less like our old self. And I just pray that you would help us. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. amen. You know, Christ said something very powerful there. And it is the desire of God to put this incredible power, this light we're going to talk about, um, into the hands of his followers. But before God puts power in our hands, he, he always prepares our hearts. If our heart is not prepared... For the power in which we receive, then we will pervert that power. We will take some kind of credit for it. We will, we will take it and misuse it. Um, I don't care what you call it. You can call it Pentecost. You can call it anything you want to call it. If we don't, and if our hearts are not prepared for that, then, then uh, our hand will misuse the power in which God puts in our hand. And I'm going to talk about this power for a moment. Now, the reason why the Beatitudes are so important, and I'm just going to touch on two of them, because there's two things that he uh, was doing in the Beatitudes that I want to point out, because he's preparing their hearts before he puts this power into their hands. 
Here's the preparation. Just uh, one verse says, blessed are the, the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now that word poor there, you probably already know this, but that word poor there doesn't mean poverty. It's not, you know, blessed are the impoverished, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's not what he meant. That word poor properly translates out to crouch or to make oneself small. So what he's saying is blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who make themselves smaller who crouch because theirs is the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. And God's saying the key to the kingdom is for us to humble ourselves. The key to the kingdom is to become smaller and not bigger. How many of y'all know God says you must die to live? Sometimes when he says things, it's upside down. Well, to get bigger, we have to crouch. We have to become smaller sometimes. I think uh, John, John put it this way. He said, I must decrease so that he can increase to make oneself smaller. And then there's another term in verse 5. He says, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, that's another powerful statement, too. And that word meek there, uh, probably the best working definition of, that, definition of that word meekness, means strength under control. It's also used to describe the soothing medicine. And so how many of y'all know that you know, medicine can be really powerful and misused it can cause a lot of problems. It can cause addiction. It can cause other ailments. But if it's used, if it's strength under control, then it, it, it accomplishes what it's, uh, what it's purpose for. Now, I don't know about you. We've been purposed to serve. And I want to be a servant of God. I want to serve God, but I also want to serve mankind. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you the power, this, this power we're going to talk about this morning. He says, I'm going to give you this power. He says, but you got to have your mind right first, because if you don't, you're not going to understand the power and you're not going to use it correctly and so he is describing these things so it's important to have our heart prepared before our heart is empowered why is because it really makes a difference we've heard so much in especially especially in the the apostolic pentecostal church we've heard so much about ownership uh, over the years especially in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s you know ownership take dominion take authority and i don't think that's wrong but i think sometimes we we put the emphasis on one thing without really bringing balance into it and so god really isn't looking for owners he's looking for stewards because when you own something you're going to grasp it tightly uh, when you own something you're going to want to sell it but when you are a steward of something, then you are responsible and you won't sell it. You'll give it. If you, you're with me now. And so it's, uh, it's not the power to gain, but it's the power to give. He, he wants us to have a right mentality. The power that God gives us is not to gain, but to give. It's more blessed to what? Give than to receive. Is it, is it wrong to receive? No. But it's more blessed to give. And so it's power to give. Understanding words like dominion and prosperity and royalty. I understand them and they're in the Bible and they have a place. But I, we have to understand why we're given dominion, why we're given prosperity, why we're given royalty. It is so that we in turn can have the power to serve mankind. Now, we're going to look at this power because it's important to know what we've been given. And so when Jesus spoke to his disciples, remember, their culture was different. Their culture, they didn't have a light switch. You know, there weren't street lights everywhere. Houses weren't lit. We have pretty much uh, power and lights are on 24 hours a day or readily available to us. The only time that we really feel it is when the power goes out. Ice storm hits, power goes out for a week, and we just almost lose it. 
I just came back from Puerto Rico. When I was there, they had been 73 days. Uh, 75% of that uh, um, island had been without power for 73 days. They were about to pull their hair out. I'm 73 days. I mean, after two or three days, I'm ready to pull my hair out. We, and so, but this culture didn't have that. They knew the significance of light. They knew what it was like and the importance of light. And so maybe it carried a little bit more weight, but I don't even think they had a real clue to what Jesus was saying. And this morning, I want us to look at what Jesus was giving them when he said to them, you are the light of the world. And I think to, to look at that, we need to understand to do that. We need to understand the blueprint. The blueprint is found in Genesis chapter one, verse one through four. And this is what happened. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everybody say the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form. It was void. It was dark. And darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, it would be awful if it just ended there. That's like the preacher getting up and saying, oh, it's bad. We live in a horrible world. Um, it's going to hell in a handbasket that it just seems like everything that, was, that, that used to be right is now wrong and everything that used to be wrong is now right. And, you know, we'd be correct in saying that. But you, I want you to know there is this power in this thing called hope because most people don't need their sins pointed out to them. They already know that they're sinners. They don't always just need the problem, and there's a place for it. But when you tell someone the problem, you need to give them a solution. When we go in and say, hey, if I go in and say, you know what? You got some of the nastiest water I've ever seen. It's got cholera and E. coli, and it's got all kinds of other junk in it, and it's bad. Don't drink it. That, that's, that's pointing out the problem, isn't it? But it's important that we don't just give them a problem, but we give them some hope. But you can take this little four-inch miracle that lasts 10 years that filters out 150 gallons a day. And if you use it, it will take out all your impurities and you will have clean water and you'll be healthier. Now that is hope. But even the greater hope is when we understand people are lost without Christ and they're bound in their sins and they're not going to a place that's designed for them, which God has a heart for them to go to in a place called heaven and eternal life with him. But they're lost, hopelessly lost, but we must bring them hope. And so Genesis, when we talk about the power of light, well, the power of light is something incredible because it says here that and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Why is that so important? The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water because the water, uh, and, and some, some translations in the old, the old English says the, 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 the abyss. The abyss that's not just dark, but it's deep. How many of y'all know a situation, maybe in your life or in your family's life or somebody's life, that's dark and it's deep and it seems like there is no bottom and there is no way out, there is no hope. But I want to tell you that small statement here says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. It was hovering over the hopelessness. It was hovering over the darkness. It was hovering. I want you to know this morning that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is hope and there is hope. There is hope for everyone. There is grace and mercy offered to everyone and so wherever it seems hopeless we don't have to give up hope because the spirit of God still hovers over the darkness he's still there and so don't give up in praying don't give up in believing don't give up in holding out for a miracle don't give up for all that you're praying for and believing over no matter how dark it gets or how deep it seems the spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the deep and the abyss and he's waiting 
You know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for what comes next. And so he's hovering. And then God said, these are the first words recorded that Jesus ever spoke. Now, there may have been other words, but these are the first ones recorded. And it's powerful, and it's connected to what Jesus spoke to his disciples several thousands of years later. And it says here that God said, let there, finish it with me, be light. Let there be light. What happened? And there was what? Light. All of a sudden, there was revelation and illumination. There was a transformation you know, that happened in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in more than a second. We're going to find that out. More than a second. It happened, and it, it lit up the world. Now, of all the words that Jesus could have had inspired of his spoken words to be written first, why let there be light? Why not let there be life? Why not let there be love? Why not let there be hope? Why not let there be peace or joy? Because there is no joy, peace, hope, or even life without light. You see, light is the absolute most powerful thing on earth. It's the most powerful thing. Now, we must remember these, you see, because only light can bring life and all of these things. Jesus spoke in John 8 and said, I am the light of the world. Now, what did Jesus call himself? I am the light of the world. Jesus called himself that. And he says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So, uh, a couple things we need to know. The spirit hovers over the darkness, waiting for the command to invade the darkness with light. That's, that's, his, that's his ministry. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry. To fulfill the heart of the Father. And what does he want to do? He wants to invade darkness. He wants to transform darkness into light. He wants to bring revelation. He wants to bring transformation. Now, the other thing that we need to know is light always invades darkness. Darkness can only prevail in the absence of light. I want to say that again. Light always, always, always invades darkness. It's a kingdom principle that cannot change, has not changed, will not change, will never change. We focus sometimes on the darkness. We see the darkness. We feel the darkness. We talk about the darkness. It's newsworthy, but light always, always, always. Can I get a witness up here? Always, always, always invades darkness. Darkness can only prevail in the absence of light. Only when the light is withdrawn or the light is diminished can darkness come back in. Never can darkness prevail against lightness when, light when light is advanced. So, that, so this is what he's prepping his disciples for when he looked at them and says, You are the light of the world. Now listen to what John 1, 4 and 5 says. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And he says, And light shines in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. That word comprehend doesn't mean understand. That word comprehend means to hold or to contain it. In other words, light, darkness cannot seize, possess, or overtake light. 
Darkness cannot invade your church. Darkness cannot invade your town. Darkness cannot invade your home. Darkness cannot invade your pocketbook. Darkness cannot invade you uh, because if there's light presence, it cannot move. Now, if you can, can, can be patient with me for a minute, let me talk about light. How many of y'all know that Jesus oftentimes used uh, his creation to bring spiritual truths home. He talked about sparrows and fish, and he talked about birds and sheep and horses. Are you with me? He talked about bushes and trees and so on. And so I think it's proper to talk about the real natural properties of light. It gives us a better understanding of what Jesus spoke to his disciples when he says, you're the light of the world. I want to understand what God has given me. Because if he's, if, if he's going to give me something, Lord... Show me what you give me. Tell me what you give me. Let me study and show myself approved. Let me have an understanding. Let me grow in knowledge so I can operate at full capacity. Because I don't want to operate halfway. I don't want to do something just partway and just scratch the surface. Now, let's, those of you who are smarter than me, and I, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm the first one to admit I'm not that smart. But I got a phone that's smarter than me. It's called a smartphone, in case you don't know. <clears throat> Anyhow. Um, light has physical properties about it. It has mass. It's made of photons. Now, there's a bazillion of those things, but they're photons. And they travel, they can move, and light moves on wavelengths. Some are short and some are long. That's how we get different colors. When you ask a person, well, what color is light? Someone says, well, light is clear. Well, light is not clear. I guess that could be considered a color, but... We know light's not clear when we see it through a prism. When you see water and sun shines through it, you get to see light and you get to see the rainbow. You get to see the colors. You get to see how beautiful it is. I want you to know that God is so diverse. He's so, he's multicolored. Come on, somebody. He's multi everything. And so um, it, it travels on wavelengths, some short. Now, the thing about light is light travels incredibly fast. You want to know how fast tra light travels? It travels at 180,000 miles per second. That means in, in one second, light can circle the globe, circle the earth seven times. So if we could see it, if someone could turn on a light, seven times it would circle the earth in 1,001. That's how fast. Why is this important? It's important because Jesus is telling his disciples, you are the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. And then he looked at them and says, you are the light of the world. It's, it's, it's an amazing statement to me. It's not just, you're the light of the world. Oh, happy me. Oh, happy us. It's not something lighthearted, L-I-T-E. It's not something haphazard. It was intentional and purposeful from the very beginning of the world. God understood the power of light. He is all-powerful. He's an all-knowing God. And he wants to bequeath on us this power of light. Here's the flip side of light. Anybody know what the opposite of light is? Darkness. Here's the thing about darkness. Darkness has no mass. And it cannot travel. If you put darkness and you don't have any light, darkness just exists. But it does not move. It cannot advance. It cannot invade. Think about that for a moment. 
How many times have we talked about all that the enemy is doing in the earth today? I will tell you, the enemy exists. I don't want to underplay the fact that he has a scheme and he has plans, but the Bible says that he's a liar and the father of all liars. And his, 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 his convincing argument is that he's powerful and has the ability to move and to invade, and that's further from the truth. Satan does not have the ability to move and invade in the presence of light. He can exist and does. But when a light comes on, he cannot withstand it. How many of y'all know when Jesus in his conversation with a very, uh, a very raw, messed up, unfinished product called Peter. And Peter answering the question, not even really knowing what he was answering, but answering anyhow, because that's just how he was. When Jesus says, who do men say that I am? He said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, hey, you've done well. You, don't, you haven't come, that with, come up with that on your own, but the Father in heaven has revealed that to you. It's not what you've done or what you've thought up. It's not anything you can pat your back on, but you have had that revealed to you. A light has come on, and it is upon the, this rock that I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That word prevail doesn't mean be able to come against it. That means it will not be able to withstand it. So hell will not be able to handle what the church is going to do against the darkness. He was preparing this, this pre-church plant is what... Uh, was taking place here on these Beatitudes. He was preparing the hearts of people before the church was going to be planted for the very first time and launched on the day of Pentecost. And so he's saying to them, I am going to unleash on you light. Other words, you're going to become what I am. So darkness has no mass. And so very quickly, <laughs> and I am closing. Very quickly, one in verse 14, we're defined as light. God defines us as light. Now, something we always need to never forget about light is we're drawn to the light. We don't draw the light. We're drawn to it. We don't choose God. God chooses us. And we can't take any credit. It's God. We are proclaimed powerful by God's word. So we are defined as light. It is not how I would have defined those early disciples. I wouldn't have looked at those guys. Those guys were a mess. They were scarred and marred and flawed and had weaknesses and they had potty mouths and they had uh, sticky fingers and they had self-serving problems where they all wanted to be on the inner circle thinking that somehow when God took Jesus took over the kingdom that they would get the benefits of being at his right hand and his left hand and they were way off the mark. But Jesus saw something in them that most of us could not have seen at that time. We see it backwards. We see them historically, but Jesus was seeing them prophetically. Aren't you glad that God sees you prophetically and not historically? Come on, how many of y'all were all messed up? How many of y'all, how many of y'all, could, you can look in your past and you can see all the stuff, but I want you to know God looks at us prophetically and not historically. God looks at us and says, hey, there's a fine line. There's a fine line between prophetic and pathetic. And I'm willing to to bring and to believe for you in the best and the good because I see myself in you. So we are proclaimed powerful by God's word. We are placed in a position of power by God's authority. Don't let anybody define you, nobody else, not even yourself. The devil wants to redefine you, 
Society wants to redefine marriage and sexuality and gender and self-identity. But church, we are not who the devil says we are. We're not who the world says we are. We're not who others say we are. But I am who I am says that I am. Come on. I am who the I am says that I am. And who does God say that you are? God looked at a misfit group of believers here and he says, you are the light of the world. He was putting into their hands the most powerful, fastest thing known to man. Something that could, could, could uh, to go at, at 180,000 miles per second. He's putting that into them. You know the cool thing, another property about light is that when light travels it travels fast when it hits a mirror it reinvents itself so you would think that if a light hits a mirror and it reflects off that the reflection wouldn't be as accurate as the original wavelengths not true because when it hits in a mirror a phenomenon takes place it reinvents itself now, I want to tell you, you talk about the grace of God. You think about that for a moment. When God says, the things that I have done, you will do even greater, he knew what he was talking about. When he said, um, I'm going to go to the Father and another comforter, another teacher, another helper, something is powerful, another is going to gird you and empower you, and you're going to be able to, to reflect my grace and my love and my power, and it's going to be go out, and it's going, to, it's going to be just as powerful and just as effective as when I reflect it, because you are a reflection of me. You are joint heirs with me. That's good stuff. Hang on a second. That's good preaching. Amen. Amen. Your circumstances don't define you. God does. We're a royal generation. I mean, a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? So that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's light is our invitation to salvation, and we are to become the sons of light. When you have the light, believe in the light that you may become the light. And that's what John 12, verse 36 says. And the really neat thing there is in that verse 14 when he says, you are the light of the world. Then he says something because he's really switching over from an individual. And he's translating over to a prophetic word about the church. How many of y'all know that God speaks inspiration into us? We're supposed to be a collection of believers that have believed on a something. That's what we have in common. That's why when we go to Haiti and we go to church or we go to Panama and go to church or we go to Vietnam and we go to church, uh, that's why there's many different languages, many different activities, but there's one spirit. Because he has done something the similar or the same in each and every one of us. We've been born again by the spirit of God. That's not even of ourselves. It's of God is grace and mercy born in us. Can I get a witness? But he speaks prophetically, Jesus, over his disciples, knowing that they would become the church, knowing that they would be the founding fathers of the early church. And he says, a city. You know what a city is? A city is a community. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Didn't say it should not be hidden. He said it cannot be hidden. You see, there is power in the church. God says there's power in a collection and a community of believers. The early church was birthed in a setting of people who brought their faith together and they became better. Each one of them had their own different experience, but they obeyed the command of God when he says, wait and tarry in the upper room until you be endued with power from on high. 
Thousands heard it, 120 obeyed it, and the 120 brought what faith they had. They collected it together. They got up there not knowing what was going to happen, but trusting what God says would be good. And they began to pray, and they were in one place, in one mind, in one accord, and then the Spirit of God began to fall. And does anybody know what fell on them? How did they begin to speak? They began to speak as cloven tongues of fire, light, began to land on each one of them. Christ defines us as light. We're saved, not lost. We're delivered, not captive. We're healed, not broken. We're filled, not empty. We're blessed, we're not cursed. We're accepted, not rejected. We're living and we're not dead. It's in time to rise up and shine. It's time to rise up and serve. A city set on a hill is a strategic position of power. When he said the city wasn't going to be in the valley, he didn't say the city was going to be downtown. He didn't say, you know, we're not talking about, uh, you know, you know, demographics here, but he says spiritually, a dimensionally, a city is set on a hill. Anybody knows you own the hill country, you win the war. A city set on a hill. It is a position, a strategic position of power. God is coming back for a church that is operating in a faith position, not curled up in a fetal position. And too many of our churches have curled up and they've become self-serving and self-protecting and they're merely surviving. And that is not the plan in the heart of God. It is so easy to rationalize and theorize why we should be self-serving and self-surviving. It makes sense on the surface, does it not? How can we help the world? Why are we going across the seas to help somebody over there when we have people right in our own town? I've heard that and I said, help them both. Is God not big enough? Is he not able? Why limit God? Can we not do it all? Didn't Jesus say, don't we, aren't we the light of the world? Aren't we faster than the devil? Come on, somebody. Isn't it light more powerful? Doesn't it give light? Can't you go and stand in a circle unintentionally trying to minister to, intentionally ministering to someone else, but the residual effect of light jumps off of what you're doing and lands on four servant people and they get saved and they didn't hear one sermon? That's God. So we're called and described as light. We're not to diminish the light. The U.S. State of the Church, Barna Research, 2016, 73% of Americans call themselves Christians. Go to church and call themselves Christians, born-again Christians. Not just believers, but they would say they are Christians. Only, 70, only 7% are evangelical. Someone says, well, I don't understand the difference between being born again and being evangelical. Well, I don't know that I really do either, except... Uh, in this survey, evangelical was described as someone who felt it was their responsibility to share their faith with someone who doesn't know. So we look at this country and what we really say is in this nation, only 7% of people in this nation feel like they have a personal moral responsibility to share their faith. And we wonder why our churches struggle with evangelism when only 7% of believers uh, you know, believe, or people believe that it's their responsibility. Church, it is our responsibility. God puts power in our hand with an expectation. And the expectation is this. And when he collected his group of believers around him, he said this to them. He said, hey, fellas, I want you to 
preach the gospel, cast out demons, and heal the sick. And they probably looked at each other and thought, they probably looked at each other and says, man, do he know, does he know who he's talking to? Peter's got a potty mouth. Uh, Thomas, he, he's, he's up, he's in church one Sunday and out church the next. I can say that I'm not pastoring here and I'm leaving tomorrow. You know, James and John are fighting and arguing over who gets the blessings. Kind of sounds like church, doesn't it? Come on, somebody. Then they looked at themselves and they knew each one of them had flaws and weaknesses. And he says, he's telling. And so Jesus let them probably stew on that for a few seconds. And then Jesus says, look, hey, guys, I'm going to give you not just what you need to do, but I'm going to tell you how you need to do it. He said, get your tablets out. They got their tablets out, their stone tablets. And they were ready. And Jesus says, okay, here it is. This is how you're going to do it. You're gonna, this is how you're going to preach the gospel. This is how you're going to cast out devils. This is how you're going to heal the sick. This is how you're going to serve people. He said, freely you have received, freely give. And he dropped the mic and he walked off the stage. It, it's really... Is that how we're supposed to do ministry? Yes. Why do we complicate it? Why do we get wrapped, we get, we get wrapped up with everything? Everything's got to go by bylaws and constitutions and budget. And it's like my head's going to explode. I understand the need for those. I understand that those things are there to serve us. We're not supposed to serve them. They're supposed to serve us. There are tools. There are guides. You understand. you with me. You can say amen or you can say ouch, man. What have we been freely given? I know what I've been freely given. I've been freely given his love, his life, grace, joy, peace, mercy, hope. I've been freely given everything. The truck that I rented, I... I, I I, you know, even, even the money that I use to rent that is from the Lord. The house I live in, the water that I turn on, the light switch I f flip. Why? Jamie and I were talking about this last night. What separates us from the men, you know, uh, in Africa? What separates my wife from that mother in Bangladesh? What separates us? Longitude and latitude. Why? Why have I been born in a land of plenty? Why was I born to parents that raised me in church and told me and taught me right from wrong? Why, why am I in a place where it really doesn't cost me a lot to serve the Lord in this country? I mean, I experienced it. I had to get shuffled out of a church. We had to jump into a van to evade the communist police forces that wanted to come and wanted to arrest us and deport us. I don't fear that right now. Why? Because God has freely given that to me. With what expectation? To freely give it. Freely give it. That's the challenge. That's the hope. That's the love. That's the grace. That's the mercy. And I am not allowed to withhold it from anyone.
It's not for me to determine who deserves it and who doesn't deserve it. It's not for me to determine that. It's for me to determine that I am just to give it and let the Lord separate the sheep from the goats. So this morning, I, um, I want to really encourage the church this morning that you are a city strategically planted on a hill so that you can let your light shine before men. Because my last point, and I'm not going to preach it, the last point was we should direct the light. We should direct it. Because he told them, let your light shine before men. That's with purpose. This is to me where the leadership and the structure and all of that that we do with all other things needs to come into play because we need to strategically, um, with wisdom, um, and effectively direct the gospel into the communities, into the world in which we live, and we need to do it before men so that God may receive the glory. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for such patient people that allow me to go on. And I pray, Father, that you would have struck a chord in each one of us. May we understand here that you have a desire to do some things in our life. Father, you have a desire to remind us that you have described us as light. Maybe we don't feel like light here this morning. Maybe, maybe we haven't even acted like it much. But, Father, you still believe in us this morning. You still believe in us. You still believe in the church. Father, let us not look at ourselves, Father, as let us not let anyone else describe us. But, Lord, let us let you describe who we are and who the church is. And the church is alive and it's vibrant and it can do great things because light always invades darkness and darkness cannot prevail against it. I pray that you would remind us that we are to let our light shine before men. Lord, may it be in this new year, as we come into this new year, may it be, Father, you remind us that we are to touch people. We are to love people who are to bring light into their situation, their darkness, their struggle, their heartache, their worry, their, their, their um, sickness, their diseases. Father, that we are to bring light and to be hope and to be joy to be life. And Father, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you uh, in this new year as you come. I'm going to turn this back over to Pastor. Um, I'm going to go out to the table here. Come by and hang out with me for a few seconds. And if you have any questions, we'll try to answer those. Lord bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm glad Brother Mike made that many point at the end. Alicia, just very quickly, would you bring up his his uh, beginning here, his text from Matthew 5, uh, 14 and 15 and 16. Praise the Lord. Oh, Alicia's not in the back there. Friend, sorry. Okay, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your, look at this. This kind of swims upstream from what 
and mindset is in the church. Okay, I'm going to do this, but don't tell anybody. Now, I think he's talking about individuals, but the church as well. He's speaking to the body here. He said, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. That kind of, see, that's a little bit different than what maybe a mindset that we've had. Let's do this quietly so that I don't get any recognition or credit. Okay, that would be a wrong motive for sure. But notice what he says, for all to see. And it says your deeds, let the good things you do shine out for all to see. Here's the motivation, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So, if we, the body of Christ is going to do what Jesus said, first there's deeds. That means we're, we're doing something. And then it says for all to see. That's a good motivation. If it's to glorify God, not for self, not for self-glory or promotion, but to glorify God. Guys, we need to get busy. Thank you, Brother Mike, for that servant's message. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given us. We needed this, we needed this fresh water that we've this drink that we've had today. Lord, that we are to serve that we are to be busy about your business, to glorify the Heavenly Father. And now, God, I pray for this body today, Lord, that you would inspire us, energize us. Thank you that you have energized us with the light and that you said you have already given us everything in regard to life and godlikeness. So, Father, I thank you that you help us to hear from you to know where to go, at what pace, and the direction, O oh God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving this body, Grace Life Church. You have given us a responsibility. Lord, you have included us in what you are doing. Now help us to be faithful servants as we are faithful sons. Lord, to, to have the heart and the mind of a servant, O oh God. Lord, we thank you for your loving kindness that you've shed toward us. Help us to give out that light this week, O oh God, to point people to the Heavenly Father that they may call upon you. Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's get out there. Let's give them that light, guys, because we have it. God bless you.